To another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with James Harkin, Andrew Hunter Murray, and Anna Chazinski. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones, only this time not with our four favorite facts from the last seven days, but with the best four facts sent in by you, the listener. And so, in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is you, Chizinski. Yeah, my fact was tweeted into us by someone called Owen Nelligan. So thanks for this, Owen. This fact is that the person who invented the lie detector married the first person he interrogated with it. Did he say, will you eventually marry me? And she said no, and then it came up as a lie. Well, it's so close to that. According to a book about the history of lie detection and polygraphs, he... So this is a guy called John Augustus Larson, um, and he was using a lie detector to interrogate Margaret Taylor, and <laughs> It was about a diamond ring that she'd had stolen. And so the result of the interrogation was that her diamond ring was found and returned to her. And she was so grateful <laughs> that she volunteered her services to him to play criminal in other lie detection tests. Mm. And then after about a year, apparently, he had her on the lie detection test and he said, do you love me? And she said no. And it came up as a lie. And she <laughs> it's bullshit. It sounds yeah, right. not true. But no, just... no, I really don't. Oh, well, the machine's saying it. Sorry. <laughs> well, I guess if the machine's saying it, I must do. <laughs> do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? No. <laughs> Sorry. Because <laughs> it made news, the fact that they got married. Yeah. It was headline news at the time. Uh, the San Francisco Examiner had it on its front page. It said, inventor of lie detector traps bride. <laughs> 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 They had their wedding as well with all the police force there, and um, oh yeah, yeah, and they played they played a prank on them basically immediately after the ceremony. <laughs> they beat um, them up. <laughs> yeah, no, they handcuffed them and they packed them into a paddy wagon and just abandoned them in a countryside. <laughs> just left them. Yeah, it's a classic police prank. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm a bit confused about him inventing this thing. John Augustus Larson, the man who married the woman he interrogated. Yes. So the invention of the lie detector involved several stages, I guess. But what he did was he integrated a test for blood pressure that had already been invented by someone called William Marston. Um, and he integrated that with a way to measure your pulse, your respiration and your skin conductivity and put that all together. And then that was what became called the polygraph. Right. So there are lots of different people who might have invented it. Yes. If only we had a way of telling who was the real one. (laughs) (laughs) And you say someone called William Marston, but William Marston is hugely famous in the world of comic books because he is the inventor of Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mm. so the inventor of the lie detector also, uh, well, the inventor of one of the stages of the lie detector also created Wonder Woman. And it was his wife, um, Elizabeth, who helped him sort of connect the dots about the idea of emotion and blood pressure being combined as a thing that you could tell people's emotions from. I guess for truth or false. How How did he trap her? With the, I assume... Uh, the lasso, probably. The, the lasso, lasso of truth. Of which she, she has a... Wonder Woman has a lasso. Yeah. And anyone caught in it can't lie. She has a lie detector. Yeah, I mean, no it, yeah, yeah, that's her weapon. That's not a lie detector, though, is it? If you can't lie... That's not a lie detector uh, because every single thing you mm. say will be the truth. It's just a lie preventer. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Just very quickly on William Marston, he had a really odd relationship because they they're not sure who Wonder Woman was properly based on. They think that it was his wife Elizabeth, but also they think it was this other lady called Olive. 
turns out that they had an open relationship and he, they're based on both. So just a little nugget there. He lived with both women, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah. yeah. Which of those two was the one who wore the weird outfit? <laughs> one of them wore the outfit, but the other one had a golden lasso. Yeah. I see. Yeah. He wasn't a very creative man no. at all. He was a bit of a self-promoter, wasn't he? I think that's why we associate him with the polygraph these days. Mm. So there was a Gillette advert in 1938, which he appeared on to say that um, the company's razors were better than the competition but he's like a, using the polygraph. Yeah, he sort of uh, oh, hooked really? people up to it. Yeah. Which race is best? Is it Gillette or Wilkinson Sword? And presumably if they said Wilkinson Sword... they probably came... cut it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. polygraphs don't actually work, do they? No, this <laughs> is the thing. It's amazing. These things are complete crocs. So they don't work, but they're still used or are they not used anymore? They're used. But, yeah. used. But, but am I right in saying in court they don't necessarily take them as solid no. evidence? No, they okay. do. They do on Jeremy Kyle, though. Right, But they're used in lots of other processes. So there was an article this week about how uh, Trump's having real problems with getting a border control force up. So he wanted to increase US border control by thousands. And actually, their numbers are decreasing at the moment, the US border control. And one of the reasons for that is that two thirds of them fail the lie detector test that you have to pass to get into US border control. I didn't know you... Do you need to pass one to become president? I do not believe so. (laughs) (laughs) But so if you are a particularly guilty person, just in general, you might fail a lie detector test just because you think of what would happen if you had told a lie or if you had committed the crime that they're asking you about. Yeah. So that will cause you a spike in blood pressure or a spike in temperature or a spike in your heart rate or whatever. And also, um, you can normalise the responses. So if they're asking you control questions at the beginning and you, let's say, you bite your tongue or you, you know, stab the inside of your leg with a fork or whatever while that's happening, Mm. then that will cause a big spike. And I think, well, those spikes are normal when he's answering those control questions. So later on, when we're asking him about the murder, you might have the same spike and they'll say, well, no, you didn't do it. Do you think they'll be suspicious because you bring a fork into the polygraph (laughs) test? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they might. Or that you're bleeding out of your mouth from all that gun biting. (laughs) Mr. Murray, is it true that you you stole all the forks from the canteen. <laughs> yeah. So on the guy that this fact is about, yeah. he solved the crime that he was put in charge of solving. So it was this mystery on the campus of the University of California over who was stealing lots of the students' possessions. So Margaret Taylor, who he married, had a diamond ring stolen. Um, and he figured out who it was because he did a lie detector test on all of these students. And this is how it worked. It ended up working, apparently, to prove that the lie detector test would work forevermore. The way it worked was he sat someone down who was called Helen Graham and asked her if she'd taken the money. Uh, She exploded with rage, tore all of her equipment off, ran over to the recording device to tear it up and said it was outrageous that anyone was allowed to use that. She had to be restrained and said that otherwise she would have beaten the officer in the face. (laughs) So it sounds like she did it. And she did then admit later on to doing the crime. So that's how they work. They just send you flying into a rage. I think that is how they work, isn't it? Like... Really, the only way that a polygraph could possibly work in a court of law is by making you admit to something, right? Because people think they work. Yeah. Yeah, so they then become Uh. truthful. So there was. This was supposedly a method they used uh, in uh, BC era to determine whether someone was lying or not. Supposedly in India this was used. What you would do is you'd get a donkey and you'd cover its tail in soot, right? And then you put the donkey in a tent. Okay, mm. uh, and this is a dark tent, and it's at night that you do this. And then you put the suspected liar in there, and you say, "We've got a magic donkey," and you <laughs> you you have to grab the tail of the donkey when you're in there. And if it brays, we'll know that you committed the crime. But actually, what it is is, if they come out and they haven't got soot all over their hands, 
then you know that they didn't even grab the donkey's tail in the first place. Ah. So that's how they tell that you're the, the wrong one. There's a story that Charles Napier did that, who's one of the inventors of logarithms, uh, but he did it with a chicken. So he had his a dark room, <laughs> put soot on his cock, and then asked people... <laughs> Andy. <laughs> I knew you were going to say it, but I'm so, I'm so pleased that when you did. <laughs> uh, no, he, put, he did a dark room, put soot on his chicken, and then told people it was a magic chicken. And again, it was the, it was the people without sooted hands who he knew were guilty. Yeah, but, but actually, even if I was innocent, I wouldn't take the risk of the chicken actually being magic and wrong. Because you do assume... <laughs> <laughs> it could be a magic chicken who's just got it in for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that chicken's always hated me. Because <laughs> you do assume that if you pull a donkey's tail, it probably will bray. And yeah. I think even in the illogical days of the BC era, people <laughs> knew that they might do that even if they hadn't committed the crime. What are we meant to say for the BC era? What's the correct way of saying it? <laughs> oh, I think, this I think was that's it. before the time of Christ. Yeah, yeah. Sure. before the Common Era, I think. Yeah. What's the E in the BCE era? James said it a second just ago. Just said it literally. <laughs> wow. But we could switch those two sentences around. Yes. So that makes sense. Do you want to know another method of telling the truth? Yes, please. Sure. Is, is one... it from which era is it from? <laughs> this is from the AD era. The oh. Anno Domini era. Exactly, yeah. What does AD stand for? <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is uh, in China. It's uh, when you're being prosecuted, you have to hold a mouthful of rice... Right uh-huh. during the prosecutor's speech. Now it was believed that when people are anxious, they stop salivating. Mm. Okay, so because and you know that feeling of having a dry mouth yeah. when you're nervous. So if the rice was dry by the time the prosecutor finished speaking, it was believed that you were guilty because you hadn't been salivating, and the prosecutor is oh. talking about your crime. That's Which good. is unreliable because wow. actually they could have just taken lots of ecstasy, for instance. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Does that give you a dry mouth? Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Do you know who invented the um, first way of detect- measuring your pulse? Ooh, oh, oh, that must be a before common era thing, isn't it? Uh, it's not. So actually, maybe it's the first way that this uh, book I was reading sure. claimed uh, so it was Galileo apparently oh. but it's really clever so at the time people didn't have watches where you could you know obviously check someone's pulse against the ticking of your watch <laughs> you uh, check it by the sundial <laughs> <laughs> just stay there for hours <laughs> full day um, so he invented this thing called the pulsologium and what he did was he rigged up this pendulum so he hung this pendulum up and then he got the pendulum going and it was attached to a, a thread so it was swinging and attached to this thread that he could pull on to make it longer or shorter and he'd have the pendulum in one hand with his hand on that thread and then he'd test someone's pulse with the other hand and he'd make the string longer or shorter until it was exactly in time with that person's pulse and that's a really accurate way of measuring it because the length of the pendulum tells you how fast their pulse is going and then you know if that's normal isn't that really clever that is really that is that is he was pretty clever wasn't he he was okay yeah there is a method where so this is a test they tried in the uh, 1980s. Basically, there were loads of different lie detector tests, and they hope that they're going to get a really accurate one at some point. Um, there's a test called P300, uh, which is basically that after you see a very distinct image, your brain will have a little burst of activity mm-hmm. uh, 300 milliseconds after you see it, right? Right. So the idea was if someone uh, had committed a crime, let's say uh, I mugged someone who was wearing an orange suit. Right. 
uh, and I saw that suit again later, my brain would register that same burst of activity. But then an orange suit is quite unusual. So I think if I saw an orange suit, I would also be... This is the problem. And you have to find things that the criminals saw and that are unique. So maybe he works in an orange suit factory Mm. and he won't register the same thing. And actually criminals wear orange boiler suits, don't they? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So he might just be worried about the prospect of going to prison for a crime he didn't commit. So that did not work, basically. So is the logic there that if you know that that test's happening, if you commit a crime, you should do it in a place with no distinguishing features? (laughs) (laughs) Like slough. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Andy. My fact is that Liechtenstein has roughly two companies for every person who lives there. Wow. So this is a fact uh, from a guy called Richard Smith, at Richard A.V. Smith. So probably we're not saying that these people all own two companies, are we? No, we're not, because a lot of the companies are from overseas, but they're registered in Liechtenstein because it's a tax haven. Uh, and they make all their money from extremely dubious financial arrangements. They don't make all their money, or indeed any of their money, from dubious <laughs> arrangements, I'm sure. <laughs> Just in case the lawyers are listening. I'm sure they make a lot of their money from practices that are frowned on in the wider international community, but which happen to be legal in Liechtenstein. <laughs> um, but they make money on false teeth, don't they? I they remember make money on false teeth. There's an old yeah. QI fact that they're the biggest exporters of false teeth in the world. Really? Yeah. I think China might be about to overtake them. But, <laughs> oh, but no. Liechtenstein has been punching above his weight for some time. <laughs> yeah. They've got 35,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing that they export more than China. How many of the companies are false teeth factories? <laughs> Almost yeah. all of them, actually, yeah. There's very little tax haven stuff going on. <laughs> are we talking teeth with gums? Like, as in full sets of dentures? Or individual so teeth. not individual teeth well I guess it, the, it depends doesn't it I think it's dentures I think it's one company that makes all these dentures right. I think it's in Liechtenstein it's a funny old place isn't it it's an amazing little place yeah I mean it's named after the guy who bought it I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty amazing and, and, they, and the family who still uh, are the royalty there are the descendants of him. So it's still the Liechtenstein family. You just never see that because they never use their surname. So weird. It's like Queen Elizabeth, you know. Mm. You rarely see Windsor. Called, oh, is she not called England? <laughs> <laughs> so it's 160 square kilometres, which is 174th the size of Yorkshire. Whoa. Wow. I mean, I don't know how big Yorkshire is, but... It's quite big. Yorkshire's quite big. But yeah. it's smaller than, like, England, for instance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I read a really good fact in Lonely Planet about Liechtenstein, which is that um, their last military engagement was in 1866. It's the last time they sent soldiers out. Uh, so 80 soldiers uh, went out and... 81 returned. They made a friend (laughs) and brought one back. Well, what is a friend other than someone that you've captured? Who knows? An Italian guy who's just like, I love you guys. You're really fun. I'll come back to Liechtenstein. That sounds like Stockholm Syndrome to me. (laughs) Um, In 2007, 170 Swiss troops uh, marched into Liechtenstein uh, by accident. On a training exercise, they crossed the border. So basically, it's their army going into another country, which could be kind of a bad thing, I guess. Um, But the truth is that Liechtenstein's defence is actually looked after by Switzerland. (laughs) 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 Liechtenstein doesn't really have an army of its own. (laughs) That's That's such a confusing defence attack strategy that's going through your head. So you could march in, and then if anyone stops you... (laughs) (laughs) Stop hitting yourself! (laughs) 
They've done it a few times, actually. They they, they threw grenades into Liechtenstein, <laughs> I think, in the late 60s. Really? Yeah. And another time they set a bit on fire with flamethrowers. They started a forest fire. They did ring to apologise after the 2007 <laughs> one, didn't they? I think they they went in. Liechtenstein didn't notice. They ran away again quickly after they realised. And then they called the next day to say, I'm really sorry, we accidentally invaded you. And the Minister of the Interior said, it's no problem at all. These things happen. So that happened again in 2002 when British Marines invaded Spain by mistake, uh, thinking that they were practising invading Gibraltar, despite the fact Gibraltar has a massive rock sticking out of it. That they, and they said, well, the beach is very confusing, actually. So they stormed ashore, they had assault rifles, they had mortars, they oh. took up a defensive position just to face a couple of Spanish fishermen and a couple of local <laughs> policemen who said, Gibraltar's over there, look. Uh, and the MOD later on said, it was clearly an embarrassing and unfortunate incident. They made their apologies and left. <laughs> But when they said Gibraltar's over there, does yeah. that mean the army asked for directions? <laughs> no, I don't think they did. Right. I think the the, uh, the uh, Spanish police must have known that they were doing a training oh, exercise. Okay. Yeah, rather than so assuming British. they were being invaded by Britain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> although apologising and leaving is a very British way to invade somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> the ruler prince of Liechtenstein is the wealthiest monarch in Europe. Why? Wow. Um, He's in the billions isn't he he's five billion I think because <laughs> they're, they're of, both in the billions uh, yeah. yeah well the queen's because the queen the crown wealth doesn't actually count towards the queen's personal wealth officially otherwise mm. obviously she'd be well up there yeah um, but yeah he's he's loaded but people love him so in July 2012 Liechtenstein did a bit of a turkey and they there was a referendum on <laughs> I think we can call it that there was a referendum on whether the prince should have all of his powers extended and whether he should have the power to veto the results of any future referendum and 76% of the country said yes yeah wow. we think if there are ever referenda in future you should be allowed to overrule them immediately so they love the guy. Wow. Yeah, they do. And and he um, he's an interesting character because during that period he threatened to just leave. He I was think, like, if, I think if that it was goes, why they voted. Yeah, they were, he said if it goes the other way, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to take all my money. I'm going to take gonna, the name of the country yeah. with me. You have to think of a new name. <laughs> I'm taking back that Italian who came back with the army. I'm taking everything. And he um. <laughs> Because they had another referendum where they wanted to talk about abortion and whether it should be legal, because it's illegal in like uh, Liechtenstein. And they said, we want it legal. And he just went, no, nah, sorry, I'm, I'm overruling that. It's not yeah. happening. He once a year throws a big party for everyone in Liechtenstein to come to his the palaces. But actually, 20-odd percent of those wanted him to leave the country. <laughs> yes. The people invited to this party. We'll put, them, we'll put them over near the toilets. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> he doesn't hold grudges like that. 36,000 people invited to the same party, mm. and it's supposed to be a garden party on his lawn, so I just wonder how big his lawn is. I guess if you own Liechtenstein... The whole thing is your garden. Well, so it's just like, that's the party, that's wherever just, you are. So just stay at home. Yeah. <laughs> well, how do you not attend the party then if you're annoyed about the referendum? That's why everyone attends the party. <laughs> 30,000 isn't that many, though, is it? Like, if you think about a football game, that's like true. Man United game would have, what, 70,000 or something? I guess. It's quite a lot. I'm thinking of my flat now. <laughs> mm. So I, I think his garden's probably bigger than your flat. <laughs> but I not by guess. much. I know what you're saying. Yeah. I've never been to your flat. <laughs> No, oh, sorry, yeah, we had a party. Um, I'm afraid not the whole population of the podcast was invited. <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact was sent in by uh, Luke Haynes, that was on email. 
in 47 BC, there was a giant robot Cleopatra walking the streets of Alexandria, Ooh. squirting milk from her breasts onto the heads of onlookers. Okay. Yes. <laughs> this was sent to you personally, was it, Dan? This was sent to all of us, but I, I think it was edged towards me in the email. <laughs> um, and do you stand by it? Well, I did when I read it and sent it to you and let you all research it. And now, uh, having Googled it, I can't find any evidence that it's real. <laughs> it appears in a New Statesman article, um, and it's delivered at the top of the piece, very confidently, as if it's <laughs> fact. And uh, I just can't seem to find it anywhere else. But uh, I still stand by it. Okay, so I read um, a review of a book called Cleopatra A Life by Stacey Schiff. Yes. But the review was by Mary Beard, uh, who I think we do trust. Uh, as a classicist, uh, and she wrote about a famous procession in honor of the god Dionysus um, in the third century BC uh, by Ptolemy II. So that's before Cleopatra. Uh, and they wrote that there were floats, and one of the floats had a large statue which stood up mechanically without le- anyone laying a hand on it and sat back down again when it had poured a libation of milk. Oh, oh. So I don't know if this is the same thing. Or even if that's true, but I, you know, that is from a good source. Yep. But it seems to me like maybe two things have been conflated. I don't know though. Well, was it a statue of Cleopatra? Because that would be truly extraordinary. Before three hundred years before she was <laughs> yeah. born. Yeah. Well, it might not have been before the first Cleopatra, because Cleopatra was actually that's Cleopatra the seventh. Yes. The one who is famous, you know, for for um, having affairs with Julius Caesar and Mark Antony and things like this. She was yeah. the seventh. You know how she hooked up with Caesar. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Tinder. Uh, yeah. It was it was like their version of Tinder, and this is how it worked. Um, she was married at the time to her brother, as was customary. So she actually married both of her brothers, both called Ptolemy, and she engineered the death of both of them as well. I smell a sitcom. <laughs> Um, no, so she decided that she wanted uh, to hang out with Caesar because he's a very powerful man. I wanted to have a bit of flirting with him. And she was having a feud with her husband, and C- Ptolemy, uh, and Caesar was Ptolemy's enemy. <laughs> Sorry, which Ptolemy are we talking about? We're we talking about Ptolemy, her brother, or Ptolemy, her other brother? <laughs> <laughs> she really had a type, did she? <laughs> <laughs> Filling in the profile of the dating agency. Must be six foot, uh, called Ptolemy, my brother. <laughs> yeah, it was Ptolemy, her brother. Um, Which one? <laughs> her other brother. Her other one. <laughs> right. Anyway, he said, you obviously can't see Caesar because he's my enemy. And so she had herself wrapped up in a carpet and smuggled into Caesar's personal quarters. And then I think this is a, a famous depiction of her. She's always unrolled in films of Cleopatra, yeah. isn't she? Mm-hmm. I yeah. love that. It's so fun, the idea of being unrolled from a carpet think, onto it, the floor. You know floor. what? It sounds like fun, but I reckon when you do it, it's not going to be much fun. Because the carpet will be round by the end of the rolling process. But as it gets closer and closer towards your body as you're being unrolled, obviously the carpet will be more in your shape and you'll be sort of bumping over the floor you're going to be bumping it's going to be yeah that's if you haven't suffocated in the carpet maybe there's a delay that would have been such an anticlimax if just a dead Cleopatra (laughs) rolls out in front of Caesar (laughs) we're all the back up (laughs) (laughs) weren't they ferociously inbred then if they were all marrying their siblings yes but she wasn't having babies with them it was all about keeping power that'd be disgusting (laughs) right yeah (laughs) it was all about keeping power so she married one of the Ptolemies when he was 10 and that was so that he could be the co-ruler ah okay but the thing is, I don't think they were particularly against having sex with each oh, other. I loved it. You know, loved it. <laughs> um, Cleopatra had only six great great grandparents out of a possible sixteen. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. Wow. But on the plus side, she had a lot of extra toes. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a plus? Toes aren't that useful. I I feel like I've just got enough. (laughs) It would make the game of this little piggy goes to market go on a long time. That's that's true. (laughs) Just on little piggy married its brother. (laughs) (laughs) Who was also called Ptolemy. (laughs) Ptolemy. (laughs) (laughs) Just speaking of toes, um... (laughs) <laughs> found out a thing a while ago, ancient Egypt, um, n- this is sort of going into robots. Um, ancient Egypt, uh, they actually worked out how to make a strap-on toe for people who'd lost a toe so that it worked, so that they could continue to walk like an Egyptian. That's a terrible <laughs> joke. That's a terrible joke. Um, no, so um, it's amazing. They found it's the oldest use of um, augmenting a human prosthetic where they were able to walk in. And they found that it's because it's a leather and wooden thing that they would strap onto the toe. Uh, the flexibility of it was up to 86%, which meant that it literally worked like how a normal toe would function. It wow. wasn't, so it, that was like, um, they must have had prototype models and refined it and refined it. So the flexibility allowed them perfect gate for what they had before. Mm. Really There's a specific rule in American football that you're not allowed to kick the ball with an artificial toe. Really? Huh. Yeah. Why? Because well, it's spring-loaded or something? Well, basically, they... All the, pretty much all the rules in American football are because people have done something and then they have to make a rule against it. But one of the best kickers of all time, I think he just got his record beaten for the longest ever kick, um, didn't have any toes on one of his feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had a special like fake toe made so that he could kick properly oh. uh, and it shouldn't really have helped him in any way if you look at it it shouldn't have helped but obviously his um, opponents didn't like the idea and so they banned it that's, that's awesome. really petty yeah that's a yeah. shame as if that yeah um, can I just say this this uh, prosthetic toe dates back between the time of 950 and 710 BC it's really wow. old yeah, yeah really advanced technology I have another thing from around 950 BC oh yeah mm-hmm. okay so this is an automaton by King Mu of Zhu um, <laughs> in China I probably pronounced that wrong but that's how it looks uh, he had an engineer called Yan Shi and Yan Shi gave him a human shaped figure which walked with rapid strides moved its head up and down and touched its chin and began singing in tune Okay, this was supposedly 950 BC. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, and it, the king obviously thought it was amazing. Um, but then as the performance was drawing to an end, the robot winked its eye and made advances to the ladies of the audience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And so the king demanded that it be broken down until it was proved that it was actually an automaton because he thought it was some kind of alive thing. Also, wow. it was an automaton. I assumed the climax was going to be that that was obviously just a sleazy man. <laughs> <laughs> just painted himself silver. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's a story from ancient China, so maybe it's not even true. From the true. BC era. Yeah. They did yeah. have uh, amazing things in the 18th century. So uh, these are automata, which are... Um, so they're recorded. We have drawings of them and things like this. So there was one called uh, the Vaucanson Duck, uh, built by a Frenchman called uh, Jacques de Vaucanson in uh, 1738. It could stretch its wings. It could smooth its feathers. It could splash around in water. It could stretch out and take corn from your hand. And then it produced realistic, horrible-smelling duck droppings. Wow. wow. And this was an automaton. It was unbelievable. And sometimes uh, when he was put, making it perform in front of ladies, uh, De Vaucanson would put it in a little skirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure why. Yeah. That's, what was the purpose that it, it served? Was it useful? No, entertainment. It like, just provided you with duck droppings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's all ducks do, to be fair. 
Well, and more ducks. You can eat them. That's true. I don't know. I think like if you have one of the greatest engineers in France coming to you with his new <laughs> invention, and all it is is a bit of metal that produces duck <laughs> droppings, you might be disappointed. <laughs> There are, there are actually not even real duck droppings. There are artificial duck droppings. Was it for people... You know when people can't commit to a child, those weird people who <laughs> buy one of those strange lifelike dolls instead? Was it for people who couldn't commit to having a real pet duck? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that was it, yeah. That's very thoughtful. <laughs> Invention. So just back to Cleopatra quickly. Mm-hmm. She was she was pretty wild. She seemed to have a lot of fun in her life, uh, according to well the contemporary records. When she got into a carpet warehouse, <laughs> she sometimes they wouldn't find her for weeks. <laughs> Imagine her at the Oscars as well. And Cleopatra's not appeared. Weirdly, the red carpet hasn't been delivered either. And, oh my God, what's happening here? <laughs> uh. That should have been like, was it Elizabeth Taylor who played Cleopatra? Yeah, yeah. She should have arrived like that, shouldn't she? That would have been amazing. Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week came on Twitter through at Flock of Words, and it is that manatees control their buoyancy through flatulence. <laughs> very clever. Yeah, That's it's good. very clever. There's loads of good ways that animals um, control their buoyancy. Because if you think about it, if you're living in water, you want to decide how high and low you're going to be, don't yeah. you? Really? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So cuttlefish, <laughs> cuttlefish have a bone with holes in it. Okay, cuttle bone, it's known as. And the hollow structure contains both liquid and gas, and the cuttlefish can change its density by varying the quantity of liquid within its bones. What? That is amazing. What? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's incredible. Do we do anything like that as humans? No, we go up and down stairs. Yeah, but do we do anything on the way? Uh, I mean, I fart a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about it this way. If you're in a swimming pool yeah. and you hold your breath, actually, you wouldn't sink under the water. You'll be naturally buoyant. Yes. And then if you let all the air out, you naturally you, go, you naturally down. go down. Right, okay. Um Antarctic krill do things a bit like humans. Uh, they don't have these bones like cuttlefish and they don't fart like uh, manatees. But what they do is they kind of tread water all the time. So they're always kind of moving their little swimming legs back and front <laughs> to make sure that they stay at the right level. Oh, that sounds wow. so annoying. Oh, I know. Imagine yeah. that. Your whole life you're just treading water. Oh, but that's the, a horrible the, metaphor, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but they migrate, I think, daily. Um, they migrate, and they don't migrate um, across. They migrate down and up. Yeah, oh, and they move wow. to different bits of the water column, as it's called, uh, depending on um, food and light and heat and this kind of thing. So that's how animals know where to hunt them. Are we sure they do that because of that, and not just they're trying to get to the surface, and then they're so knackered they give up and they drop back down to the bottom again? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think that sounds more plausible. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, I was reading that manatees they can um, they have to hold their breath to be underwater, so they constantly have to come up and re-oxygenate, um, and they can take a lot in in one big breath. It's something like 90% of the oxygen just gets re... Um, they change 90% of the air Sorry. in their lungs in a single breath. In a single breath. And humans only change about a tenth. 
in a single breath. Wow. Yeah. So what they do, though, is uh, when they go to sleep, they go down and they effectively do a form of sleepwalking, but sleep sleeping. Where it's, uh, <laughs> sorry, sleep swimming. <laughs> sleep swimming, where they they come to the surface and they take in breath, but they're still asleep and then go back down. Wow. Yeah, it's just like a I bit of sleep. Are they definitely still asleep? Yeah, because I can't tell. It's like a they... half awake. It's They, they say it's as close. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's as close to... <laughs> yeah. It's like if you know that you got up in the middle of the night to check the the clock to see what time it was, or it was four a.m. and then went back to sleep, but you can remember that it's having a conscious memory, but sort of also being still asleep. Oh, I see. Kind right. of thing. Okay. Why don't you keep your clock just within view of your bed so that you don't have to get up every time you need to know? Because my time. clock is my iPhone, so you got to press the button to turn it on to have a look. I see. Yeah, I see. it's a bit more complicated. Um, that must be so annoying because they can only last about twenty minutes underwater max without going out for air. So yeah, but they, they must constantly well they nap all the time. Out. They don't have a long period of sleep. They're not like eight hours in the evening. They just nap in in small little doses all the time. They're pretty lazy, aren't they, manatees? Yeah. I've seen them. They just kind of, I don't know. Have you seen them up close? Yeah. Oh, they they look so cool. They are quite cool. I saw them in a sea center and also in the wild. And in a sea center, they all have like scars on them. This was a few years ago from where boats have hit them. Yeah, apparently ninety oh. percent, I think, are scarred from yeah. from boats. Wow, it's really sad. But they just kind of—they're like cows. That's because they're called sea cows sometimes, aren't they? And they just kind of go around the sea, just grazing and then sleeping for a bit. Mm. What do you want them to do? Build milk squirting robots? <laughs> <laughs> but they look like they're really fat and like they've got mm. loads of blubber to survive in cold mm. waters, and they haven't. It turns out they're all intestines because. They're herbivores, mm. so they have to eat loads and loads of plants. They eat about a tenth of their weight in plants every day. Yeah. And so they have to constantly be grazing and constantly be digesting, which is where they get all the methane for their flatulence from. Ah. But the lack of blubber means they can't survive in cold waters, so they have to migrate when it gets cold in winter. And sometimes they swim into the you know the warm water outlets of power plants and things like this. Yeah. So you get hundreds of manatees in Florida just converging... In um, fact, did you see in 2015, they got, I think, 19 manatees got stuck in a pipe, in a drainage pipe in Florida because they'd obviously gone. Well, did the first one go in and then the next one tried to save him and then they just kept <laughs> yeah. going in. Can you imagine how annoying that was with the first one? Why wasn't he shouting back, going back up, guys, back up? Yeah. No. Did they get out okay? Yeah, they yeah. all got out. They were fine. They were a bit uh, okay. dazed. They had to go in and um, put them on stretchers. Really? It's yeah. amazing seeing them. Yeah, they yeah. cut the pipe open. Oh, okay, right. They also There's a manatee hotline um, that you can call in <laughs> Florida. To talk to manatees in your area. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's because obviously there's a lot of interesting rules that happen in Florida with manatees. There's stuff about you're not allowed to touch a manatee. There was a case where a dad almost went to jail because there was a photo of him touching a manatee. That's illegal. Um, no, I don't mean disgusting touch, like literally touching <laughs> a manatee. Yeah, I know. Okay, I, I don't think anyone was thinking. I thought your face suggested. <laughs> Said that's what I was saying. No, it wasn't at all. Okay, but thank you for clarifying. <laughs> but so one one thing that they often get is phone calls um, from people saying that um, we've got huge problems. The the manatees are in huge danger by the shore, and often what that is is that manatees actually mate uh, very close, uh, just off the coast of Florida, and they do it in mass groups. And it looks like there's a struggle going on, like because like, the water is going crazy. Right. So Nadia Gordon, she's a marine mammal biologist um, with the state agency in Florida, and she says the call we usually get is there's a mum manatee and all the babies are trying to save it. But then in actuality, the large female can have up to 20-something males trying to breed the one female. 
and that's what's going on. Yeah. So it looks like they're in serious trouble, and that's a lot yeah. of the phone calls they so get. So that's what happens. Oh. You get all the males who are trying to mate with the female, and the female's in the middle, and all the males are trying to get at her, but they don't have claws or horns or anything like that, or arms or anything, so they're just kind of bumping each other. <laughs> so it's kind of like if you're in a nightclub and there was a load of men trying to get towards a woman, but they had their arms by their sides and they're kind of bumping each other. <laughs> Wow. It would be a it's, bit like that. That's the weirdest simile because no one's ever been in that situation in a nightclub yeah. where all the men have their arms tied to their sides and are bumping <laughs> towards the one. But I think I think clubs would be more enjoyable for women if that were the case. It yes. certainly would. But I think you can imagine that. I maybe. can imagine. I can it, imagine yeah. it. I I like that. I would imagining. go to that club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what happens obviously is that the main, the one who's best at barging people out of the way gets the girl, but then the other ones, what do they do? Well, actually, they tend to just try and mate with each other. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. Right. Also, in a way, everyone wins. Well, in a way. In a way. <laughs> in a way. I, everyone else has come joint second, though. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so you can. So obviously, they were mistaken for a mermaid. We think in Columbus's uh, journal, he said he'd seen a mermaid. What the locals referred to as a mermaid, and we think it's a manatee. And you can kind of see mm. why they look. If you look into their eyes, there's something very human about their faces. Well, they don't have eyelashes. Exactly, just like humans. <laughs> and their uh, eye muscles close in a circular motion like an aperture on a camera. Right. Whoa. So Whoa. there are some differences, obviously, between the human and the man. Or you've got really weird boyfriends in your face. <laughs> they have large pendulous breasts. They do. There we go. That's where the name manatee comes from. Uh, it's an old Carib word meaning breast. Ah, okay. okay. And Columbus, when he saw them, he did say that they rose well out of the sea, but they're not so beautiful as they're said to be. No. For their faces had some masculine traits. And they had scars where they'd been hit by boats. <laughs> yeah, they had no eyelashes. And <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, those breasts were very pendulous. <laughs> they have been at sea for a long time. <laughs> That's true, I guess. Uh, yeah. And they are terrible in bed. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's it. That's all of your facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James at Eggshaped, Andy at Andrew Hunter M, and Chazinski. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at QI Podcast. Please keep sending us in facts. We might do another show like this one day. Also, you can go to our website, no such thing as a fish.com, where you'll find all of our previous episodes. You'll also find a link for our tour. There are tickets available now. We are doing a UK tour. Please come along. It's going to be really fun. We'll see you again next week with another episode. Goodbye. Goodbye.